1970, the most, the top most watched TV shows were the FBI, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, Medical Center, Hawaii Five-O, and Ironside, to name a few. And for those of you that are too young to have even seen the reruns, um, those were your typical dramas about hospitals and crime solving and families. The heroes were usually men. The leaders were usually men. The gunslingers and the protectors were usually men. This fall's TV lineup is considerably different. A recent article by Politico entitled, Hear and Watch Women Roar on New Fall TV Shows. The article went on to explain that currently on TV, we have shows like The Good Wife, Homeland, Scandal, Nurse Jackie, all that put women up front and center. This fall, even more women are stepping up. They went on to say that shows like Madam Secretary, The Mysteries of Laura, How to Get Away with Murder, Bad Judge, Christella, State of Affairs, are all about strong, sexy, smart, beer-drinking, butt-kicking, I'm not putting up with any of your crap kind of women. And the culture is watching and says, what's wrong with that? What could possibly be wrong with that? Isn't that the way women are supposed to be? What is wrong with women doing the same thing as men? Well, last lesson, if you were here, we spent the time looking at the original design of men. This week, we're going to do the same with women. Now, in the weeks ahead, we're going to look about how sin, look at how sin has affected us both. That's coming. But for today, we want to understand what that original design for womanhood was. Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book to her daughter entitled, Let Me Be a Woman, in which she used it to explain to her daughter about womanhood. And she emphasized in it that our very bodies testify to the fact that God had different purposes in mind for women than men. God's word tells us, God, in God's word, we have the truth of womanhood. But we need only look at our bodies, our physical bodies, to understand that we were not created to be or act like women. So, if you were here last time, we noted that God did, in his creation, he was... Uh, we noted that everything in God's creation of male and female was significant. Okay, so we're going to go back to the creation account this morning with that in mind. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2? We know that from the last time that chapter 1 is the overview of creation, and chapter 2 is going to be the commentary. It's the close-up. And we are going to start in verse 18. Okay, Genesis 2, 18, reading through verse 23. 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds and to the heavens of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. We'll stop there. That should be sounding very familiar to you. We've gone over this passage a number of times. But what does it teach us about womanhood? Well, look at verse 18. God says, it is not good that a man should be alone. So what is God going to do about that? Well, he's going to make the man a helper. Right? First point, number one on your papers. The woman was created to be a helper. That may sound familiar to you if you were here for our very first book, uh, Loving Your Husband. We had an entire lesson devoted to being a helper, but this is uh, probably a good time to review it. The woman was created to help the man. Now that raises a question, help him do what? Uh, pick up his socks? Do his laundry? be a secretary. Um, if you did your homework, we learned that certainly we can help the men, we can help a husband by, uh, with domestic tasks like that, but it would miss the essential view. If we are to understand our role as helper, if we're to understand our identity as a helper, we need to understand what it is we have been created to help him do. Okay? If you were here for the first lesson, we spent how we, man was created to bring glory to God and to serve him as opposed to serving himself. All right, so that means, or his purpose, his ultimate reason that he was created was to glorify God. Now, I love the way the author put it, and I'm going to quote her words. She said this. She said, quote, that rules out the idea that God created woman to help the man cater to his own selfish needs. Ladies, you were not created to help man cater to his own selfish needs. Okay? You have been created to help assist the man in glorifying God. Now, if you remember that first week, we said if there had only been one gender or if there had been one androgynous gender, then the glory of God would have been diminished. The male gender alone would not properly uh, 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 reflect the image of God. It is not good that man uh, be alone. Okay, that brings up our second point. And it's review. We've talked about this before. Number two, <clears throat> women, women help men bear the image of God. Okay, now... That does not mean that you must be married in order to help man bear the image of God. And we talked about this in our first week. 
we, uh, it means that we glorify God through our femininity and men through their masculinity. Okay, everything we talk about today can be done by a single woman. A woman does not have to be married in order to be feminine. Right? That means that everything that we talk about today, you can be teaching your daughters. In fact, you can be teaching your sons. Okay. Also, when the Bible talks about how older women are to be teaching younger women, this is what it's talking about. We are to be teaching the next generation how to be women. Okay? Unfortunately, we've been letting the TV and the magazines do that. Okay, we have been created to help the man in our lives display the glory of God. Now, how do we do that? How do we help? Well, let's start by describing what that word helper means. That word helper in the Hebrew, it is not a wimpy word. Okay, it is not a word that implies servitude or secondary status. Okay, it is the Hebrew word ezer, and I have that on your paper, and it means one who assists and serves another with what is needed. Number three, one who assists and serves another with what is needed. It is not wimpy because it is a word that is frequently used to describe God. Okay, in fact, God is called helper throughout the Bible, and the Holy Spirit is called helper throughout the Bible. Okay, so that means that we can apply this in a number of ways. It means that we can come alongside a man and help him to do a task. It means that we can come alongside a man and show strength and encouragement. It means that we can come alongside a man and show wisdom. As women, we want to get into the habit of asking, how can I help this man? All right, now we're talking in just very broad and basic strokes but we, uh, when it concerns all men, but we want to be thinking, how can I help support this man in his manhood? Now, thanks to the feminists, for the last 30 years, 40 years, we have been squashing men and belittling men. Okay, and that hasn't gone well. Uh, I had uh, a meeting a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> with a gentleman, a Christian gentleman, and it was right in the middle as I was studying all this gender stuff. And I, and, I, and I thought to myself, okay, Lord, how do I put what I've been studying into practice? Because surely the things that I'm studying, surely it should be affecting the way that I interact and communicate and handle myself with other men. And I was reminded, I was reminded that I am to be a helper not a critic, not a judge, not a rival. I am to be thinking, how can I be a helper and an encourager and a supporter? And of course, I'm talking in very basic actions and attitudes toward all men. Now, in the marriage relationship, that's going to look different because that is a unique covenantal relationship. That means that your husband has a unique responsibility to be the provider and the leader and the protector in that relationship, just as you have a unique covenantal responsibility to be his helpmate. And you know what that means? 
It may mean picking up his socks. It may mean doing his laundry. You are going to wake up every morning with the choice, will you help him? In the weeks to come, we are going to get more specific and talk in more detail. This is a broad topic, but for now, for today, we want to understand that this particular part of our design was that we were created to be a helper. Okay, next point. The woman was created to be fit for the man. That's number four. <clears throat> We've talked about this before. We've used, we used this picture of the two fingers coming together like this. Woman was created to be a counterpart, a complement. That word fit, it actually means like opposite to him. The woman helps the man glorify God in a way that the man could not glorify God were she not around. Now, in your own lives, you probably see something like this. Chances are you and your husbands are opposites. Okay? And that's how a complementary relationship works. He is strong where you are weak, and you are strong where he is weak, and you work together. Okay? All right, next, verse 23. Adam says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Right? Last week, we learned that the man, he was taken out of the dirt. And he was made from the dirt. The woman is taken out of the man. So we want to add that. Number six, the woman was taken out of the man. Now, what's the significance of that? Because the woman came from the man, it is completely appropriate for her to honor and respect him. We intuitively know that it's right to respect that from which we came. You may, have you may have had terrible parents that didn't do anything right. And yet, you know there's something inside of you that knows that it is right to honor and respect them because, humanly speaking, they're the ones that gave you life. Okay? Now, last week we talked about the man. We pointed out that he was first he was the firstborn, and we talked about what that implied. We were second. Okay, what does that imply? What is the significance of that? Well, for one thing, it's going to be the basis for your respecting the headship of your husbands. Okay, the feminists, they love to say that male headship is wrong, and it's a result of the fall. Okay, but Paul in 1 Corinthians tells us that our husbands have headship because the man was born first, and the woman came from the man. Now, we women think, we love to think that uh, our husbands have to do something in order for them to earn our respect and be respected from us. And Paul says, no, 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 no. He says, look back to the creation account because that's where you get your reason. The man was born first and the woman came second and was taken from him. And that's why we are to respect the headship of our husbands. Okay, next, we see verse 18. He says, I will, make a helper, I will make him a helper fit for him. All right, next thing we want to see, point number seven. The woman was created for the man. And our authors pointed out that even our bodies anatomically indicate this. The woman was made for the man. As you can imagine, there are men that would totally misuse this. 
And we said before, it does not mean that the woman was made for the men to use and do as they please with them. It means that the woman was made on account of him. Okay? It means it denotes direction. His existence led to hers. His existence brought about the need for hers. Okay? Now, what is the significance of being made on account of someone? Of being made for someone. Remember, she was created and immediately brought into the presence of the husband. Well, it indicates, and this is number eight on your paper, God created the woman to be a highly relational creature. Your identity is not based on the job and work as much as it's going to be based on relationships and the way you relate. A woman was created with a built-in desire to bond with people and develop relationships. Your husbands are more likely to be rational and task-oriented, and you are more likely to be relational, and guess what? Those are complementary features. Okay, this is why when I talk to my son and I ask him how his his work, he will talk for an hour about fonts. Or graphic, or the details of graphic design. And, and you know what? What I really want to know is what are the people like where you work? Do they get along? Do they like you? Do they have kids? I mean, okay, that, that's, that's what I want to know. And he'll sum that up in a sentence. Um, this is why we're relationship-driven. My husband uh, has best friends that have gone through some very serious things like divorce, and I, and I will ask him basic questions about it, and he won't be able to tell me. And I'll say, you just spent five hours golfing with the man. How is it you don't know? Do you, wh- what do you talk about? <laughs> and he'll say, uh, work, sports, sports, you know. Because we are more relational, we are the communicators. We talk more. This is why. Your husband comes home from work, you ask him about his day, he can summarize it in a sentence. And then you can give a play-by-play of every diaper and every feeding and everything you did over the past eight hours. Okay? Now, this is why when something uh, goes on in my family that I have I missed, I want my daughter to be able to give me the details. Because all the men in the family could pull their resources and never come up with, with what she's able to communicate to me. Now, I want to be very careful because I'm not suggesting that men are not capable of relationships because they are, okay? They totally are. But the reality is that your husband hasn't been wired for them. He has not been wired for them like you have, and he probably doesn't need them like you do to the extent. And we need to understand that and make provision for it. You We want to be careful not to expect our husbands to come home from work and be women for us. This is why community among women is so important and so necessary. This is why when somebody new moves into town and they show up in your Sunday school class, we need to be so quick to be reaching out. This is why you may need to call your mother or call a girlfriend or a sister throughout your day. Okay, we want to make provision. Interesting story. 
Writers about the Jewish Holocaust tell us that men and women both struggled, but they did it in very distinct ways. The, whereas the men were very solitary. They were concentrating on their own needs. The women focused on relationships. They, they became camp sisters. And they said that is what they used to get, help them get through their day. They said relationships were the most important things to the women in the camp. And without them, they would have never endured. You know, think about the hardships that you go through. Okay, women, we, 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 need our, we need each other. All right, next point. The woman was created in the garden. Number eight. Where the man had been formed out in the wild and brought in, she was created within the lush perimeters of the garden. Okay, she was created in a place of safety. She was created in a place where she's under the protective authority of her husband. Now, we talked about this last week. Remember last week we looked at Genesis 2.24, where we said the man should leave the mother and father. All right, we said the man leaves the protected atmosphere and of, of his household, and he goes out, and he pursues a bride, and he uh, becomes the protector of a new household. All right, that's what men do. The man goes out and initiates. All right, what does the woman do? Well, Mary Cassian explained it this way, and I quote, The woman doesn't leave. She's the constant beneficiary of protection from the authorities that God has put in her life. The man goes out and initiates. He's the one that guards and protects. The woman's role was uh, created to complement that. All right. What else can we learn from the fact that the woman was created from within the garden? Well, she was created from within the boundaries of the garden. She's created within the home that God had given her husband. Now, that's a very interesting detail because all throughout Scripture now, we're going to see that women, their primary sphere of responsibility and influence is going to be the home. Um, the authors remind us that it's a distinct responsibility, not an exclusive one. Okay, this doesn't mean that a woman can't go outside of the house like you see in uh, uh, Muslim cultures. It doesn't mean that a woman can't work outside the home. It doesn't mean that other people can't help contribute to work around the home. Okay, it do, what it does mean is in the way that God created man to be connected with his work and his job in a way that we weren't, we have been connected and, uh, to the relationships and the home in a way that men are not. When I was uh, at home raising kids, I can remember my husband would look at me and wonder, how, can, how could I do it? How could I stay home all day with little kids and take care of the home? And I would look at him, and, and I was glad he felt that way because I didn't want to switch places with him. I didn't know how he did what he did. So, our next point. God created woman. This is number nine. God created woman with a distinctively feminine bent for the home. Pew Research just released a study where they asked unmarried women what is the number one thing you are looking for in a husband. Anybody read it? Number one thing. What do you think it was? Looking for in a husband. You would think. 
But maybe this, maybe this is what they're looking for. 78% of them said they're looking for a man with a steady job. Steady job. 78. That's huge. They want a man. They don't want to have to support a husband. They want a husband that will work. Okay, now why is that? Why is that? Because men have been created with a bent towards the work and a job, and women have been created with a bent toward the home. Okay, now, what does that mean? When we say that we have a bent towards the home, when we talk about women, godly women are to be keepers of the home, and when we talk about being homemakers, what do we mean by that? Okay, uh, is that saying that women are the created to do the laundry? that we have been the ones that are created to do the cooking and cleaning, that we have been created to do the diaper changing and the feeding? Well, according to Betty Friedan, okay, now she's the feminist that wrote the feminist mystique. This is what she said. She's, she once described housewives as parasites, okay? And she said, and I quote, housework could be done without qualification by a monkey. She wrote, housewives are mindless and thing-hungry. Housework is peculiarly suited to the capabilities of feeble-minded girls. It can hardly use the abilities of a woman of average or normal intelligence. Now, I got to tell you, there were many days when I had my young babies that I thought, this is, what, this is my life. I am I'm a mindless monkey. <laughs> um, you know, clearly there were some things that Betty knew about housework. But... Um, Okay, but, but what exactly was God's design for us as a homemaker? Was it to go about doing mindless work as parasites and monkeys? Okay. When we talk about a woman's unique bent and responsibility in the home, we are talking about her nurturing relationships and keeping her family in order and making her household, making sure that her household is taking priority over any other job in her life. That brings us to our next point. Number 10, creating a place to beget and nurture life is at the core of what it means to be a woman. Yes, it may involve doing some menial and repetitive tasks, but it is uniquely about the people. Okay, it is about creating a warm, and nurturing place that fosters growth, spiritual growth, emotional growth, physical growth, all of it. And yes, I would recommend that you keep a clean and orderly home, but understand that you can have a woman that has an immaculate, spotless home and a well-run home and completely miss the point. It is about nurturing it's about being hospital, hospitable. Your kids go out into a very cold and hard world, and one of your responsibilities is to make sure that they come back home to a warm and inviting place where they can come back and be refreshed and recharged and then go back out into the world. Now, you may not have grown up with this. You may not know what this looks like. And if that is the case, I want to tell you, you find a woman who is doing it 
or who has done it, and you ask her, hey, will you show me how to do this? Uh, in our home, when my kids were little, uh, and my kids were at home, I cooked and I baked a lot. And uh, I tried to do it uh, as they were getting out of school, because that way they would come home, it would smell nice. It kind of put me in a place that was very available for them. And there was just something about it, can't explain it. They came in the house, and just all is right with the world, you know. Mom's in the kitchen. It may be crazy out in the world, but mom's in the kitchen, and she's cooking, and she's baking dinner. And I, I talk about how uh, it kind of had like a, a bartender effect. If you've ever seen, um, you know, the guys at the bar, they're, they're cleaning the cups and somebody's sitting on the bar just spilling their life. Well, it just kind of, it kind of worked like that. I'd work in the kitchen, somebody'd sit down, they'd start munching, talking, and, and it, uh, it just provided a, a place for them to, to come and meet. We always tried to have a family meal together. Now, we didn't do that consistently every night. We tried to be consistent, didn't happen every night, but um, uh, we, we tried to meet as a family, and we had some rules. First of all, the TV was shut off. There was no TV. And everybody had to be nice to each other. <laughs> um, there was, kids were not allowed to tease or make fun or be unkind. Okay, now, they weren't supposed to do that anytime. But, uh, but it was just something we were particularly intentional about during our dinner time. Bob and I tried to be very careful not to bring up shortcomings or flaws or talk about the problems that um, they were having. For instance, like if somebody got in trouble at school or uh, somebody forgot to do their chores or whatever, it, we didn't bring it up at the dinner table. Okay. We talked about it, but not during the dinner table. The dinner table, it was to be uh, an, an oasis for the family. Uh, my mother uh, got saved, and this was one of the things that she became very intentional about. And she always said that if the family was under stress during a mealtime, it wasn't good for your digestion. So it, it's just, it's a win-win. Uh, but as a mom, I wanted mealtime to be a highlight of their day. I wanted the family to enjoy each other, and, and they did. And I can remember having mentors tell me that you are setting the atmosphere in your home. Your climate control. Now, why is that? Because nurturing and relationships are your thing. Okay? Another interesting story. In Jewish prison camps during the Holocaust, it said that even though the conditions were terrible, the women worked very hard to provide and comfort the children in the camp. One writer spoke of how his mother wrote a little musical and used the women and the children to put it on. And, and, and he said it brought laughter into the barracks. Another story explained, I thought this was so interesting, that the men and women arrived at the concentration camps, they would just be thrown their uniforms without any regard to whether they were the right size or, or appropriate. And it said the men would put on and wear whichever one they were given. But the women, they said within one day, they had managed to make uh, needles out of splinters of wood and, and taken the thread from the blankets and they would mend those, those uniforms and fix them so that the uniforms fit. Another, another source talked about how the women would look for any little thing that might be decorative that they could put on their uniform or display in their living quarters. And you know what? The men had no interest in such things. Now, why is that? 
Because we women, we, we, we look for the beauty. Because women are instinctively, there's something instinctive in women that want to mother and nest and nurture and make a house a home. And we see it even in the worst of times. Jesus told his disciples, I go to prepare a home for you. The author points out that our homes are like a foreshadowing of the welcome the believers will receive in heaven. Um, Now, what about the single woman? What about the married woman without children? How does she apply this? Does this apply to her? And again from our book, number 11. Every woman is created to mother and nest. Every woman. Even if a woman never has biological children, she has been created to nurture and be a life giver. Elizabeth Elliot has a message entitled Made to be a Mother. And in it, she tells of uh, various women in her life that were like a mother to her and influenced her in that way. She started by telling of a 15-year-old godly girl that invested in her when she was just a nine-year-old new believer. She talked about an unmarried woman that was her dorm mother when she was away at college. She talked about the writings of Amy Carmichael and how they had helped her. Another Holocaust story told of a woman in prison. She was in her 20s, and she uh, she was befriended by two young teenage girls that were about 14. And these two young girls began to show kindness to her. They would bring her scraps of food. They would bring her little scraps of clothing. They they would just bring her anything they could get their hands on. And and one day the woman said to these two, um, two girls, she said, you care for me like a mother and a grandmother. And from that day on, the one girl began to refer to herself as mother, and the other girl began to refer to herself as grandmother. You see, you do not have to biologically give birth to nurture and mother. And you don't have to be old. This is something that we need to be teaching our young girls to grow up and learn how to care for people like a mother and a grandmother. Okay, let's take a close look at the last verse 23. Verse 23. It says, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, right? The man names the woman. We talked about this before. We learned that naming things represented having authority over something, okay? And this week, um, we want to look at the other side of the coin. So that is next point number 12, the woman deferred to the man. Man makes the call. He sees the woman. He's there first. He's going to give the woman a name that is befitting to her, and she defers to the man. Okay, she could have very easily said, "Uh, I will name myself, thank you. Okay, but, but she doesn't. She defers to the man. And what Adam calls her is significant. If um, you look on your paper, uh, the man is identified as Ish, and he calls the woman Isha. Now, scholars tell us that's a clever play on words, that Isha is just the feminine version of the word, and even sounds the same. And we're told that they have complementary meaning. We're told that Ish means strength. Isha, the root meaning, is soft. Okay, and that brings us to our uh, next point. Number 14, softness is at the core of what it means to be a woman. 
Okay, now listen. Uh, th- listen to some of the ways the dictionary defines what it means to be soft. Not hard. Yielding readily to touch. Flexible, pliable, delicate, graceful, not loud, quietly pleasant. Calm, gentle, kind, tender, compassionate, and sympathetic. Do those characteristics define you? Now, does that mean that a woman is not to be strong? Okay, no. No, Proverbs 31, 17 says, she girds herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. Okay, we're not called to be wimpy women. When this is talking about, um, and we're going to be talking about that more in the future. When we talk about women being soft, we're talking primarily about her being soft toward someone or toward something. Okay, now, as the softer uh, gender, as the complement to the man's strength and to the man's leading characteristics, the woman was created to be amenable. She was created to be agreeable and leadable. Now, we're not saying that she is to follow her husband into sin. She's not to agree with sin. But she was created to be the responder. He's the initiator. She's the responder. Okay, and again, the authors pointed out the differences in our bodies and how they reflect this. I want to quote her. She said, A man's body is structured so that he is the one who moves out and toward and has strength to give. And the woman's body is structured so that she is the one that welcomes and draws in and has the capacity to receive and nurture. We are to be the receptive, responsive gender. And in case we need reminded or in case we doubt that, We need only look at our physical bodies. Our last point, having a receptive, responsive spirit is at the core of what it means to be a woman. Now, I think you have some good things to discuss if you did your homework. There was good questions, just some good things for you to work through. So um, I'm going to pray us out Before I do, I was to remind of the, you have papers on your table about next week's service project. So uh, look them over. Make sure everybody, there's one for every person, right? Take those home with you. And um, come prepared next week for us to, uh, to go over that. So you have two weeks to get homework done. So that's good. All right, let me pray us out. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. We thank you that it's living and able to cut to the very core. And Father, we pray that you'll just help us now to take these truths and go home and put them into practice and to, uh, and to be the women that you have designed us to be. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.